Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ellen Trackman here with... Uh, oh, you need me to introduce myself? Oh, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm Jennifer White. You changed it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought that pause would be the moment you jump in. Uh, okay. I did. All I right. did. I'm here. So, yes, this is a really, really great interview. I was really inspired. Um, as you know, we do the intros after we record, hence I already know what's happening, right? <laughs> so it's going to be confusing. Um, but so it's military-related advocacy, really passionate and inspired people we get to talk to. So talking military, Jen, I know you live in the military world. What yes. are you seeing these days? Are things opening up? Are things changing? What What is life like? Yeah, I mean, it's been fascinating for us. Like we even, during everything with Ryan's job, he did like some commissionings, but he did them via like FaceTime or via Zoom, uh, which was fascinating. And then even when he had his change of command before we just had our most recent move, I wasn't even allowed to be there. So we just mm. attended via Zoom. I watched it from afar. I actually moved ahead of him because I was like, well, if I can't be there anyway, then I might as well just move, right? And were, <laughs> be you, on Zoom sad, from anywhere. were you sad not to attend so many things in person? Um, I have to admit that <laughs> I don't love to just get dressed up and stand around and smile and make chit chat. But mm. um, unfortunately, it is coming back now. So no. <laughs> talk to people. Oh, it God. is. Mm. So I know starting you have to wear and I, do. I know I went we, starting this week he has a um, he's commissioning all of his new uh, new Air Force guys um, nice. on That's exciting. Monday no and it is exciting and the ceremonies are fun to watch and you know they're always inspiring because you know the the pomp and circumstance and just the absolute pride for all of these, and, and in this case, I'll say kids because they, to me, are young kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, it is amazing to watch them, and so I'm I'm pleased that we get to actually watch it in person. So some things, yes, I'm sure there will still be lots of social distancing. I know they have restricted the number of attendees that are allowed to be there, and um, mm-hmm. it's an outdoor ceremony and things like that. We're watching desperately for rain, but um, so if everybody, even though this will come out afterwards, if you could all say thoughts that rain did not happen a couple of days before, that would be <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's yeah. get to our, our awesome interview with such inspiring individuals. Um, yeah, let's go to it. Welcome Katie Bell Hendrickson and Ellen Gustafson from Military Family Building Coalition. And you guys are the co-founders. And we are excited to hear about your own stories as well as about the amazing work the Military Family Building Coalition. Do you guys, that's kind of long. Do you guys call it MFBC for short? Is there a shorter version? The MFBC um, are doing to help families. Uh, who wants to start? Katie, Katie, do you want to jump in? Yes. Uh, sure. Yeah. Gosh, thanks for having us. This is really exciting. We're we're relatively new. Uh, Ellen and I have been working in the space uh, for a while, but it was really the catalyst, I think, maybe, would you say a pandemic, Ellen? That yeah. got, um, well, <laughs> could we also add twins? We have twins. Um, <laughs> I have uh, 15-month-old twins. Ellen, how old are the? They kids? just turned two. Too. Yeah. So oh I think it was that a pandemic. I, I, I like to say that, you know, we, we'd gotten to the point where we couldn't not do this. Um, wow. We thought about it and really had so much grassroots uh, engaged in trying to support and really lend 
our expertise from our own journeys that we finally just said, okay, enough, you know, enough's enough. We're in DC, Ellen's also on the East coast. And we, we said, okay, we're going to do it. And how did, how did you guys meet? Go ahead, Ellen. (laughs) It's so it's, it's great. Katie had been as a, the, the spouse of a, an admiral had been, had taken this issue up as a passion project and um, had really moved the conversation from the shadows into the light, uh, especially in the community of the Naval Special Forces. And she was hosting a series of seminars on base um, about different topics of family building. And what was interesting is that I was, um, as an active duty spouse, was one of the few people who really spoke very openly about my own journey. Um, And because a lot of people knew uh, about my journey, a lot of our, our friends had said, hey, Ellen, you have to go to this. You have to, to just, you know, meet this woman and be a part of it. And so so I walked in the, the room and sat down ready to tell my own story and, you know, be fired up about my own experience. And immediately we realized, all right, we are two people who really understand that this is a silent problem. It's affecting a lot of people and it's it, it's got to change. Yeah. And I, I would jump in and say, that's a you know that's that's accurate and but I, I will also mention that from a personal level, you know I I recognized in Ellen um, that there was a a much higher level of thinking uh, around what this problem was and she and I both have different backgrounds but wanted to really be strategic about it um, and that excited me in in wanting to work with her and bring her background which is very unique. Uh, into really how we modeled um, our nonprofit and and what we really considered uh, to be the focus and the mission. That's so great. Do you want to share a little bit about your background and the obstacles and challenges that you were seeing that brought you to to this place? Sure, I'm happy to jump in. My so my husband uh, was is is actually eight years younger than me. And so we, we started the process of trying to have kids a couple of years after we got married. I was in my, my mid thirties, 33, um, when we, when we started the process. So not someone who had waited, you know, too, too, too far into the game to, to try to have kids. Yeah. But, um, but I, I was someone who had an, an unknown sort of a mysterious issue in my family on my maternal side where male babies, um, or male fetuses would would just die in utero sometime oh, no. around between the, the 20th and 25th week of pregnancy and wow. my, my mom had lost four and That's so dramatic I, oh oh yeah and, and and my grandmother had lost two so I was I was prepared for this this thing that no one could explain and no one understood and and so going through the process um, of even starting to try to get pregnant I actually saw quite quickly that the military doesn't have an infrastructure around someone like me there a lot of the genetic mm-hmm. testing that I did was was outside of the military healthcare system and mm-hmm. and so so I I, re- I realized even before I got pregnant that I was a unique case and I might have to kind of look for resources outside of the traditional military healthcare system so when we did get pregnant naturally uh, it was unfortunately a male and unfortunately it was a male that did uh, have you know d- die in stillbirth while my husband was deployed and mm-hmm. and so so the, the the medical answer when I was in the hospital delivering this you know this this still baby baby as, as the term goes, was, mm-hmm. was that, you know, the only answer you really have is to do IVF and try to have a girl. And, and that oh. is, it's, it's interesting because that's essentially a medical answer, but I didn't have an infertility diagnosis, right? So right off the right. bat, when the military states that you have to have an infertility diagnosis to even get thought of for any kind of help. And I could never get that. I didn't have an infertility diagnosis. So, um, 
you know, long story short, we, we started down the process. We did six IVF cycles out in town, which was very, very expensive. A lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, um, when w- w- we, we got connected to the Mayo Clinic, they discovered the cause of fetal death uh, oh. in, my, in my family. We were able to test the male embryos that we'd made. We found out that we actually had a, a number of male embryos that did not have this rare genetic issue called IPEX syndrome. Wow. And we, the, the syndrome we were published in medical journals to, to cover the syndrome, and then wow. and then and then the funniest part of the story is I got naturally pregnant with my daughter <sighs> while we were preparing to put in two of the embryos that we had. So oh, wow. again, I was this interesting case, and, and and I think it made me especially public about my own journey because I didn't have the specific stigma of traditional, you know, infertility that that really is, is, I mean, I, I, I understand it deeply because I went through the process of not being able to have a child, but I didn't have that thing hanging over my head that said your body somehow isn't, you know, doing this part. It, it was that my body was, was doing something else. Right. And so yeah. I, I felt like it made me just much more public in, in talking about my own journey as I went through the process and the military spouses in our community and the families were incredibly supportive, but I also realized in, in going through it, it made them, it made them see their own possible journey in a new light. And it made me a point person for people who were going through it themselves. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I really, it's so nice to hear our stories again, Alan, or, hear, you know, hear this because it really reminds me of, of what a important part of each person's journey narrative um, that we, we look at and, and constantly impact our thinking about how we work with other people and, and where to be sensitive. But um, your point's such a good one to, to tr- you know, and it's something that we, we practice all the time. We're not just trying to uh, address infertility as a diagnosis. We're, we're really committed to addressing family building. And I think just, you know, hearing Ellen's story reminds you of that. It's it's not always coupled with a diagnosis of infertility. It's about, you know, how do we make this happen with the uh, medical advan- advancement that's available and, you know, make sure that our military members have access to, right. to make something and, so important. Uh, I mean, know. what's even more interesting is Ellen's talking about that, you know, she didn't have a diagnosis of infertility. I mean, in my situation, I mean, I, I started 10 years younger than Ellen. And I, so obviously I very quickly, I did have a diagnosis of infertility because, hey, you know what? We, we tried and we tried and we tried and there was no baby coming. And it, it didn't matter that I had a diagnosis of infertility. Because there are no benefits available right. to, to right. the spouse of an active duty member. Like That's I just right. was not qualified to, uh, to obtain any benefits. Once they did a blood test and a semen analysis, that was it. We were on yep. our merry way. Yep. Over. You've been diagnosed. That's it, right? Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. And that's as far as it goes. So, you know, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, my my, you know, entree into this really comes from, you know, really similarly, I guess, with Ellen, it also comes from loss, I was widowed. And so in in my marriage, uh, to to my husband today, uh, we we immediately looking at started looking at what our family building options might be. And kind of quickly realized that um, we were going to spend a lot of time in, in trying to conceive naturally that really wouldn't get us to where we wanted to be. And so stepped into the world of adoption because I had um, three boys that my husband today adopted. Uh, we were already familiar with what that process kind of involved and were very impacted by it. 
Uh, we we learned a lot about you know how you move through even with uh, children being adopted, where uh, the legal term is paternally orphaned. Um, we still had to go through you know just as many steps, uh, except that you know they were already identified, so that part you know wasn't part of our journey. But it did make us very sensitive to that process. And, you know, our, our minds and our hearts were open then to really explore adoption further. And that's where I became so interested in how that process worked. Um, similarly, you know, to Ellen, our husbands are both in the same community, Naval Special Warfare, and we have a lot of separation. And so for that journey for us, we just weren't successful. We tried for about two and a half years and just never really got the right match. Uh, but we also had a lot of start and stop because of um, separation. And so there are uh, ways that your uh, adoption process is put on hold when a military member is deployed, but um, it, you know, it, it really kind of starts you over at zero again. So uh, in our case, we were um, what's called geographically separated or uh, unaccompanied and that you know, it's, it's for the for the most part the exact same thing. You're solo, and you you know you can't do everything through a power of attorney on all fronts. So, at, at about two and a half years of trying there, we decided to switch gears, and it was really um, the birth of our niece uh, through uh, ART IVF that we said, "What? Why weren't we thinking of that?" And I think it was just very easy then for us to. Uh, move past, I think, a lot of other things that take time to address and and really resonate with the choices you're making. For us, it was immediately looking at third-party reproduction. So we jumped right into IVF cycles, um, looking at um, using, obviously, an egg donor, and then graduating from there into surrogacy. And we had uh, a successful effort. It did take a couple of years as well. Those processes take a long time. Uh, but I think the the real triumph was having uh, such an amazing relationship with our surrogate and then also being able to have two healthy twins born into our family. So, you know, similarly, it starts with loss. And I think that opens you up to a lot of things that you may not have thought you were capable of, but you march on and, and you, you decide I am going to do this. Uh, so Ellen and I, I think somehow our stories have, have crossover, but, um, what it really did was empower and passion us to, to make sure that these journeys for other people and, and especially everything we learned, I know we learned it the hard way. Um, lots of mistakes, lots of, you know, I, I'm careful about regret, but I definitely think we we learned, um, you know, through our own personal experience that, hey, we don't want someone else to have to go through it this way if we can if we can assist, and and that was really the beginning of of getting us here today. And what is the current situation? So I know Jen talks about, you know more than 10 years ago, her finding that she had no support, no benefits, even though she had an infertility diagnosis. Has anything changed? Where are we? Well, I mean, the the interesting thing about the state of military infertility is that it's incredibly confusing. The policy that is set by Congress and TRICARE is the military health care provider um, for all military members, active duty members and their families. 
And the policies of what TRICARE covers are set by Congress. So it's interesting because the Department of Defense has to then deal with those things, just like they have to do with war fighting. Congress tells them what they want, and then the military then goes and executes. And the, the, the policies are written to say, literally, the language is that um, TRICARE doesn't cover you know, in intrauterine insemination, you know, a whole host of other things. And then specifically it says it does not cover non-coital reproductive procedures, services, or supplies, including IVF, um, gamete transfer, all these things. So that's what the policy says. There is, there are some, some loopholes. Um, and Katie really uh, sort of opened my eyes to this, which is that there's six military teaching hospitals and at, and at those teaching hospitals, in order to be accredited to teach obstet obstetrics and gynecology, they have to have an, you know, a little bit of a rotation through reproductive endocrinology. So there are teaching hospitals where there are reproductive endocrinologists, but because of the policy, you're not going to then go to those reproductive endocrinologists as a military member or spouse and get full treatment. You can get subsidized care, so meaning the actual time with the doctor. Um, but not the medicines and not the, you know, anything extending beyond the simple take your eggs out, combine them with sperm, put them back in. So, right. And, and also the waiting list is insane. The waiting and you have list to is insane. Stationed near one of those. Exactly. Six. There's six and, of them in the country. And, and, and right. the waiting list is, I mean, and, and, and I, as, as, a, as an active duty spouse, you know, stationed near one of them in San Diego, I didn't have an infertility diagnosis. So it wouldn't have mattered because because you could you would look at me and say, well, you just had a pregnancy, so why are we going to take you on? And they don't do pre pre implantation genetic testing, which is what I needed to, to to tell that the embryos I was putting in were girls when we first were starting the process. So I couldn't have gotten help there anyway. And so it really opened my eyes. And what's interesting is I immediately said, that's just not coverage. That's just not that is not. Then you do not have a covered benefit. And it wasn't until I really met Katie that she confirmed to me that my my sort of theory on this was right. And and she had done an incredible amount of research on this whole system. And and it it was it's it, it just it may, I think it makes a lot of military members and families insecure because some people then go back and say, no no no, it is covered. I got treatment. And so you feel like, well, what's wrong with me? And it's like, well, no, it's, there's nothing wrong with you. It actually isn't covered. There's just a few little loopholes that some people have, you know, slipped through. Right, Katie? Is there? Is there? No, a hundred percent. And you know, I, I think because Ellen and I are so sensitive to, um, you know, confusing the optic that there's coverage. There is not coverage. We, you know, nothing is is covered beyond the diagnosis of infertility. And and really, can you find um, a code that might allow, because you have um, PCOP or something, that some of your meds are, are partially covered? You know, there's lots and lots of stories like that. We hear them all the time. But I think to really create a, 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 a platform of awareness, um, advanced reproductive care technology is not a covered benefit. It is not considered a part of your essential care uh, through TRICARE. So, you know, just the reference of six military treatment facilities that have an IVF clinic, and I think to your point, uh, Ellen, um, they're they're incredibly difficult to get into. There's long wait lists. Can I ask where the six are? They're not sensitive to where you're located. Remember, you know, this is really care that can't be done. It's not, you know, it, 
it's complicated and, and you're really not at a, you don't have an advantage if you're not right there for that care. So we're and, and remind us where those clinics are okay. just as a, yeah, there's, there, so there's six, yeah, there's six uh, currently and uh, one is in Hawaii. Uh, all of the clinics are connected to a private provider as well. So in Hawaii, uh, we use um, San Diego, so Balboa, uh, Washington State, Texas, North Carolina, and Bethesda. Did I give you six? So yeah, so so Walter Reed in Maryland, Tripler um, in Honolulu, Womack in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Madigan Army in Tacoma, Washington, San Antonio, um, and and then and then Balboa in San Diego. And since most of us military members have are not at those places right <laughs> or at least not for very long um that is not as convenient as it might even sound because everybody's like oh those are big places or i'd love to go to hawaii it, it's not that simple <laughs> right yeah. well you know you don't get to decide that and, and also if you think about it i mean the the san diego has one of the largest navy and marine corps populations uh in in, in the country right. that's and that's where one of them is good luck with that two-year waiting list when you right. have, are you've clearly already at least if you have a diagnosis you've already spent a year trying Right. So right. then you're getting a diagnosis and then you're then, you know, get on a waiting list for another two years. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how you can possibly call that treatment when you're telling someone you've got to wait three years uh, to, the, to make other scene. Yep. Is is to also remember that you have to be prime. And so the, the challenge for many spouses um, who are who are, you know, leading the charge uh, to to get coverage or to get care, they have been maybe previously standard or select so that they could get, um, right. you know, see the, re- you know, see the person yep. that they want to see. Now they have to wait for the window to switch back into Trime to even become eligible to get into the wait list. And COVID, of course, has even impacted that further. So we're just, you know, we're not we really want to be careful when people somehow misconstrue that there are six clinics open and operating. It, it really isn't care, as Ellen puts it. It, you know, it, if you're lucky, you get through it and you have a successful outcome. But that's not really coverage. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of. I mean, we we could go a million directions about the the optics of care, like you know, the insurance, Tricare Prime, or Tricare says, oh well, we'll cover surrogacy pregnancy, except there's proceed there's things in there that say that they have the right to reimbursement but they won't say how much it is nor will they say how long it will take until they go after somebody for reimbursement which really makes insurance unfriendly you know and i i I will admit i used to work in one of those billing offices and i can tell you they were five or six years behind in going after people and it's it's not (laughs) it is not a reasonable that's scary solution oh it's horrifying Yeah. yeah So tell us about Military Family Building Coalition, what it's doing, what the goals are, how people can support it. Yeah, well, uh, um, do you want me to jump in, Katie, and then and then pass to you? I think I, th- I think one of the most interesting things about about you know Katie and I meeting and connecting and being very much of the of a similar mindset is that we realized that together in, in different ways that you can't fund your way out of this problem. So there are incredible organizations that help fund people who don't have covered IVF. And we are, I mean, 
hats off to all of those people because they're really helping people right now get the the, the treatment that they need when they can't afford it. But there's we we believed in talking and and uh, you know sort of understanding the problem is that it's such a big problem. It's in the military that there's no way we would ever be able to raise enough money to just cover everyone's treatments. So well, the- and I think I will say I think even those organizations like Starfish, for example, recognize like we are saving that one starfish or helping that one out of thousands. Like we're doing what we can, but we can only help a few of so many. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and it really, you know, so, so as we got in the, in the game, so to speak a little bit more and started talking dur- during, during quarantine, when we had, you know, some, some hours to, to just talk, um, we, we realized that the, the ultimate goal here is advocating for, for policy change and for being a, a conduit for all of the different military uh, representation, whether it's the, the people themselves, but also the organizations that represent the military, and try to focus those groups on this issue. There has not been any one organization or even any major military family organization that's taken up this issue of family building. Um, so so I think we, we saw a huge opportunity to sort of be that voice for military families sort of out into the world. Our, our four main um, uh, issue areas, uh, pillars of our work that we've, we've sort of defined is what needs to happen is, number one, um, educating service members. So educating people today about what, uh, if you're in the military, if you're a military family, what what is the fact? What, what's the facts on the ground? What's the truth? You know, what is available to you? What's not available to you? And and how can you deeply understand this issue once you get in it? Because Katie always makes a, a funny um, point, which is that you don't marry someone in the military or join the military and read the TRICARE policy before you get in. <laughs> you know, you... you, right. you you kind of get halfway down the road and, and, and you're, you, you've been tr- already trying and you're already frustrated and then you go and find out that you really are not going to get any help from your health insurance. So educating military members today is really important. The second is educating the American public and, 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 and teaching and telling the American public th- in platforms like, like this, which we're so grateful for um, from you two, is, is just telling Americans, look, we think that we are a country that supports our troops and in this most basic basic need we are not helping our military families have children and and of all people of all populations where we we would think that Americans would want to support our troops it's this and and so that's that's a you know one one very specific example of how you know we 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 think that once the American public truly understands this there will be a groundswell of support and of course Congress is is the ultimate uh, actor in this it's an act of Congress to change it and that you need the American public to know this so they can go advocate for it the third and Katie I want you know Katie to tell a little bit more in depth about what we're doing in this space, but is really looking at opportunities for right now where we can help active military and their families right now. So we have some creative partnerships that we've done, and and the fourth, like I said, is advocacy. So we've created a coalition, two different coalitions. One um, with twelve of the biggest and 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 um, sort of the the most wide ranging military family organizations. So National Military Family Association, Blue Star Families, and then a whole slew of other organizations. And, and we, we talk to them now every other month and we, we, we just organize them uh, together, you know, sort of, you know, with us, behind us, with us on understanding these issues and on how we can, can help. So that's been incredibly powerful. And then the, the other coalition is with Resolve, which is the National Infertility Advocacy Organization and the uh, American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM. And so that's, so that's our sort of advocacy. They're the advocates. They're the ones that go and, and sort of have the congressional meetings. We're just the military family partner that can help um, in facilitate, you know, our voice to be at the table in the right way. Um, but Katie, I think Katie can speak a little bit more to the specifics of what we're doing for military families right now. Yeah, so you know that's a great overview, and and of course while we're you know busy doing all these other things that are really about being a coalition, we we still feel the need to 
um, understand and and continue to collect the narrative and become really uh, the experts in what's happening in our military communities today. And so in our research, and we work with some incredible folks to better understand how uh, military life really impacts fertility, we have identified what we call uh, communities with amplified needs. So while everyone is subject to the same TRICARE policy and in essence has no coverage, what aspects of, of our military, what communities um, have even greater perhaps stressors or more factors that compromise fertility just simply because of the nature of, of the work or the community that they're in. And so as we've identified these communities, we've looked at creative ways to reach out into the private sector and asking for uh, philanthropic or benevolence to support certain programming. Uh, so an example would be within Naval Special Warfare. Um, we really felt there was an opportunity here to bring in more education, but also um, uniquely at this time, Naval Special Warfare uh, is uh all men. And, um, and we looked at then how could cryopreservation assist this community? Uh, we did a lot of research around the uh, Force of the Future uh, Act or policy that was uh, initiated, I think, in 2016, and understood that uh, cryopreservation was uh, a medical advancement, a tool that could be incredibly impactful and beneficial. So uh, in working with a donor from the private sector, we are uh, now looking at providing um, cryopreservation to this community alongside uh, education, awareness, and support for uh, family building. So that's the first of its kind, and we're really excited. That's a brand new effort for us. Uh, we're also exploring uh, several other communities. Uh, one of them is the female aviation community, uh, we also work, one of our uh, partnerships is with the Modern Military Association of America, of, of the military, and uh, we're working also with them to better understand the needs of our LGBTQ community. So I, I believe there is a model for us to have an impact in the now, uh, and I think that model is very much about working in the uh, private sector for in the fertility marketplace. Uh, we've been just uh, amazed at uh, how positive, how eager, um, supportive uh, the private marketplace is in, in wanting to assist. That's fantastic. And I know Resolve, one of your partners, has a big federal advocacy day coming up this summer, and they do it every every year. And this year is remote, which actually makes it a lot easier to get even more participants to to join in and be involved. And I think one of their priorities is a mil is for military priorities. And I'm not, I'm not sure if you can speak to that, um, yeah, how that we, ties so, in with Resolve as well as how people can support it. We, we are, we are their official military partner and we are helping to organize um, some special um, elements of Advocacy Day this year. Uh, it's it's June 17th and it's virtual. So if, if you're someone who's passionate about this, joining Resolve's Advocacy Day is actually relatively easy this year. Um, you'd get matched with a, a you know, a, a, a con your congressperson or an, a staffer from their office and Resolve would give everyone the platforms that they're advocating for this year um, and, and, and try to, you know, sort of really disperse who's advocating for what in a way that we're all helping each other. And, and that's, I think, what's And cool. I have to, I have to yeah. point out one of the yeah. unique things about our military community that a lot of people don't realize 
is that where we live is not always where we reside or vote. Right. And Resolve has been incredible about that. So I, my, my husband's been active duty for 22 years and we have always resided in the state of New Mexico because that's where we went in and that's where we continue to vote. Um, I have not physically resided there except for once during his active duty career, but I still vote in that state and Resolve is incredible and accommodating about making sure that you get to connect with the representative where your voice will be heard best. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think we, it's been really cool to talk to them about that um, because they, they, they do, you know, they, they want military family members to be there advocating, um, as you say, sort of on behalf of our own issues, but also they, they're very passionate about educating the rest of the advocates. So if you're someone with, you know, PCOS and you're really passionate about that issue or you're someone um, who, you know, I mean, there's all these other, these, other, these other elements of the infertility space and Resolve is really good about getting people to know about each other and advocate for each other, which I think makes it a really positive experience for, for every advocate because no matter what element of the journey you're passionate about, um, you there's a place for you and then you'll learn about, you know, how you can support other families. And, and that's been, it's, they're just a great partner because they, they, tr- they, they, you know, they, they are already on, you know, walking the halls of Congress, uh, not now physically, but zooming the halls <laughs> of Congress. <laughs> um, and so they, they're sort of, we, we, we didn't have to build any of those relationships or start or understand any of that stuff from the beginning. I think our unique value in this space now is that, we're, we're able to really access the military community and speak the language of the military community and then hopefully bring more military family members into the light um, for Congress to see that it truly is a problem and it's time for them to act. And, and one thing that's exciting, um, just to make a note, depending is, is that Senator Pat, Patty Murray from the state of Washington is introducing um, soon, you know, a, a follow up to her to her bills that she's introduced over the years, supporting veteran and military family uh, infertility treatment. And, and we have been a part of that. We're very uh, proud to be a part of that. And so I, I you know, I, there are people in Congress who who hear us and who understand us. It's just going to take a little bit more of a groundswell of of the American public to sort of push and say, "Listen, if we're really going to say we support the troops, we've got to support them to build their families." Yeah, I think that's such an important message for you know people like me who are not military, but it's really easy to show up and say, "Hey, we we as a country support our military, and this is not support the way we're doing it." Um, you mentioned veteran support as well. Can you talk um, to how your organization supports veterans or how that fits in? Well, you know, I'll jump in. It, it's a it, they're really two different systems. Obviously, the VA and um, our our health as it's delivered really through. the through the Defense Department. Um, But what's important to Ellen and I in understanding it is really how they're all interconnected. Uh, If we can look at and understand how the VA is providing um, assisted reproduction to services to a injured service member with a service-connected diagnosis of, of infertility, then we're looking at how does that domino impact or change for the active duty member. While we don't have uh, veterans reaching out to us for support, because if they have a diagnosis of infertility that's service-connected, they can get support uh, through the VA. Uh, we are we work with lots of folks that have left uh, active duty service and 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 had this challenge while they were in, and while today they may be veterans, but they are interested in in changing it for the active duty members they've left behind. Uh, it's it's 
interesting. When, we sat can with I say, when you say that a veteran can get treatment and support, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they change it? But there's like a two year renewal so or it's expires. Been a resolution. Yeah, it's a continuing resolution. It's not permanent law. Not. It's been reauthorized every year and there it's now up for reauthorization again. Uh, Patty Murray's bill is hoping to sort of make permanent the, the, the coverage. But so for the veteran who's struggling, imagine if you think you have coverage, but at the end of the year, it may not be renewed. So that is a very specific challenge right now that's happening. And the testimony on that was, I want to say, a month ago. Uh, But uh, for veterans to not have that peace of mind that their uh, service-connected injury is, is going to continue to allow them access to care. Uh, imagine how frustrating that would be, right? So, well, so there's also okay. some flaws in that too. You know, so let's say uh, there's a male who has a service-related injury; they still don't right. allow donor gametes, so That's he right. still so, is not able to grow his family because if he had an injury that makes it so that he no longer, you know, creates sperm then that's it. He doesn't have any benefits. That's right. So there's limitations there as well. Uh, There's, in essence, there's no access to third-party reproduction. So no, um, you know, donor sperm, donor egg, or uh, gestational carrier. And and one thing that's been interesting for us in working on these issues is that even people who are really sophisticated about infertility don't necessarily understand that there are two different populations and two different health systems. So the veterans health system is under the VA. That's, that's also set in many, you know, most of the policies are set by Congress and, but that's managed by an entirely different, you know, infrastructure and healthcare system. And then active duty is TRICARE again, set by Congress, but many Americans, not, not for any, you know, reason, but other than the, the words veteran and, and service member are often used interchangeably. And I think that's, made things confusing for people when they're trying to support our military is not recognizing that they're different. There actually had been more of an infrastructure, uh, organizational infrastructure around supporting veteran infertility than there was active duty. So this great organization called the Paralyzed Veterans of America had a, have, has a, an excellent team um, supporting veterans infertility programs, and there's a coalition around that. Um, and and they, they, of course, all those people did care about active duty um, you know, uh, advocacy as well. But until we were founded, there was not an organization specifically focused on just active duty care. And I think that's where we recognize that there, we, we're, we're in a unique moment that we could make real change very quickly now that we are here to sort of organize and focus the attention. And I think it's important, you know, because we're, we've all had these journeys and we, we know what the end result is. It's, it's, you know, growing your family. But Ellen and I realized early on that this argument really needs to be about, you know, seen also, you know, from a war fighting lens. So the focus really is, you know, retention. Are we, are we keeping our best talent without having this kind of coverage or offering these benefits? Um, are we really where we want to be with readiness? Uh, do the economics of this make sense? We both have, you know, all sorts of different points to bring to that. And then, you know, ultimately, are we really seeing the diversity of leaders in leadership that um, family building coverage would allow for us? Because we know that that means people leave service. Um, they're, they're looking then to say, I'm not going to be able to have a family and continue to serve my country. You know, what, should I be getting out? Should I get out earlier than I thought? Can I be working for mm-hmm. a private employer who gives me these benefits? Yeah. 
Aside from, well, in addition to Resolve Advocacy June 17th, what can military members or non-members do to further support your organization and your cause? Well, I think, yeah, I I mean, I think the first thing is, um, you know, anyone listening to this is now going to get a much deeper education uh, than the vast majority of the American public on what the, what the facts on the ground are, are for our military. And I think the, the, the other thing, the other point I would like to make is that we believe, you know, if you're a non-military uh, member listening to this, this is not an issue just affecting military families. Our theory of change that is actually very much what congressional leadership has agreed is the theory, is the right theory of change is that once the military policy changes and the federal government begins a process of covering this essential medical treatment, it will mean that the rest of the country and the rest of the healthcare uh, companies in the country will change. Such a good point. So we we really see this as we're a very important domino in the rest of healthcare changing and becoming, and and, and infertility care becoming a a totally baseline covered benefit. We we know that the Fertility IQ uh, company has released their survey a couple weeks ago, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that said that uh, there's been 8% growth in infertility treatment on in, in major uh, health plans in the last year. And we're sort of making the case that, look, it, it, we're going in this direction. We're all going to get there. It's a matter of how we get there and how fast. And so we think the military is a very important domino. So supporting us um, and and learning about how you can advocate for military families when the time comes, you know, our, our website, our social media channels will all have that information. Um, at building nil fams is the, is the, um, is our hashtag on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, and, and our, our thinking is again, if we bring enough people into this coalition, more, this broad coalition, we'll really be able to affect change, not just for military families, but for the rest of the country. So, so you finding us on Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter and coming to our website, militaryfamilybuilding.org and, and you know, adding your name to our list. I mean, we'll be able to push out then when there are big legislation um, opportunities available. I, I think that's really, you know, in the short term. The, the other big ask is, is we're looking for supporters, financial supporters of our work. We have a, these pilot programs in the um, Naval Special Warfare community and the female Navy female aviation community, and we, we actually need those things to be funded. So we're looking for partners who care about infertility and that care about the military to help us fund this value work that we're doing. Um, We've actually found that in talking to a lot of other military family organizations, especially those run by military spouses like us, many of them are not funded for their work. And we feel, I mean, I can tell you, I feel right now, my husband's actually gone on a training trip right now. I feel like I'm already uh, volunteering for America in being a military spouse. And so, you know, making sure that we can um, hire our te- the rest of our team and, and, and at least, you know, have, have, a, ba- have a basic nonprofit, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, model that, that, that works so that we can exist and we can continue growing uh, is really important. So, so we're, we are looking for donations along with um, just supporters and advocates. You did that really well, Ellen. <laughs> That was excellent. And we will definitely provide links um, for those who are looking online at the podcast and make sure that they have those resources and send them to your website as well. Um, Well, we are so incredibly impressed and appreciative that you guys are there doing this work and recognizing there's such this hole that needs to be filled and hoping that everyone's hearing your voice and can get behind you and support you in any way they can because it is so important. And I, I love, love, love the point that it's not just the military, that this really is about making everyone. sure that everyone is supported. Knock down that first domino. 
That's right. That's right. And and you know you'll you'll be doing an incredible patriotic act when when we do knock down that domino because, you know the the stress of military life and the physical separation of being away when you're on deployments or training trips is itself a a service connected challenge for having a baby. So when you think of the fact that the the policy is written that if you're if that they're not that non coital reproductive care is not covered, well how are you having coitus when you're physically <laughs> deployed from right, your spouse? Right. So I think you know right. the more Americans who even just hear that one line, uh, the more supporters we get because it's such a kick in the, in the gut to military families mm-hmm. that you can't get help when you're physically separated from your spouse. And the reason you're physically separated from your spouse is because they're away serving the country. So that that's really the main takeaway. Definitely. Well, Katie, Ellen, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This has been great. I'm here. Yep. Thank you to Ellen and Katie. What a great resource you guys are and have provided. And we are rooting for you. And I know that Jen and I will personally be there remotely at Advocacy Day, hoping to do what little work we can and hope everyone will join us as well to help make a difference for our military families. For those who are listening, I mean, so one, you can always advocate any time of year with military families, but for Resolve, just a reminder to go to their website and register for Advocacy Day by June 5th. So some of you may be listening after that time, but for those of you and, who are listening to it, as it comes out, you still have time. And no, because I've heard people have issues with this. Once you register, they send you a confirmation email. And if you yes. don't respond to the confirmation email, you're not in and you don't get the rest of it. So register, watch for the confirmation email, respond to the confirmation email, and then come make a difference in the world with us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We are really excited. And you know what would make a difference? Just a small, teeny tiny difference to us is if you went to iTunes and gave us a little review, even if it's just like clicking on the stars and, you know, just honestly, I would say we'd love five stars, but you know, we, we allow people to be honest in our lives. It's okay. Um, so, um, but if you also want to give us a call, call us at 303-997-1903 and leave us a message or send us a message via our website at I want to put a baby in you.com. Uh, you can also check out our awesome merchandise there. You can buy a fanny pack with a sperm on it. Just, just so you know, <laughs> just, just saying it's totally worth it. Um, thank you as always to everyone on our team who is incredible and makes us, you know, makes us feel incredible. You know, they have to work with what they have. So I don't know if they sound incredible, but thank you to Amanda, to Tyler, and of course to Chris at Work at Bird Studios. We appreciate them and we appreciate all of you for being with us and listening. Thank you.